We want better schools. We want them now. Stand in our way, and you'll catch these eight black hands with Ankrum, Cole, El Mecky, and Stewart. Join us now for an hour or more of talk on education and culture. Welcome to the Eight Black Hands Podcast. This week we're talking about, uh, well, there's some variations about what, what we're going to talk about, but we're going to talk about some good stuff. So, fellas, how y'all doing? Let's check in. Uh, Breezy, how you doing, sir? He's talking to you, Chris, but you are muted right now. I mean, you look like you said, I felt what you were saying, though. You said some real stuff. Huh? He knows who I'm talking to. There you go. He he. Now he's muted, muted. But unmute the. It's all good. Charles, how you doing? Man, you know I had a week, man. I had a week, bro. It was a. Uh, it was a lot, man, and it was a. Uh, there's a lot of craziness happening with the weather now. California is dealing with rolling blackouts and thunderstorms, which they usually don't get in August, in uh, a hundred and some degree weather. All I'm saying is I don't know what religion people are, but me and my Bible are good friends, and and, and uh, we I, I talk to Jesus all the time, but we just have longer talks these days. That's all. Uh, but it's a lot of stuff happening throughout the country uh, that's just been kind of weird. And um, if you all hadn't known, uh, we had a, a on land hurricane, is what it's called, with winds eighty to hundred degree. I mean, hundred miles per hour. And uh, we I lost power for five days, man. Luckily, I have family here, but I have elderly neighbors here, and I didn't I didn't feel comfortable leaving until I knew that they were kind of taken care of. So. You know, now I just got to go get off the grid for next week. I'll be around and working, but I, I just got to get away. But that I'm better. I was I'm very happy to be seeing y'all. So and it sounds like Chris got a sound. I was waiting till I heard sound come from Chris. I was I was stretching. You know, when the producer say stretch. That's what was happening. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead, right. I'm good, so, man. So I say the same thing every week. Chris, Chris, yeah. how you doing? I'm good, man. Say the same thing every week. Feel blessed. Um. You know, I, 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 I kind of mind in my business, my own business. So, you know, like today we had a nature walk. We're out on the trail. We're down by the river. You know, everything's lush and green still. Fabulous weather. And uh, I find that my weekends where I do that, where I'm not all engaged in Twitter and what the whole world is doing and everything else, I feel much better. I feel way better. But tomorrow, it'll be another day. Ask me tomorrow. <laughs> Ask me tomorrow. I heard him say, I found this peace. I'm zen. I get to see my beautiful family. Mm-hmm. Tomorrow, I'm back with the shit. And like, I'm back on it. I'm back back in the Twitter world with the rest of you people. That's but my- yeah, that's what's up, man. How you doing, Ray? All right, audience. Audience. Uh, well, Ray, how you doing, brother? Audience, one to ten. How y'all feeling? I'm, bro, come on, man. Let me set the audience up first, and then I will gladly tell you how I'm doing. All right, audience, one to ten. Let us know how you're doing in the comments. I'm doing well. So there's a couple things that uh, make me uh, feel outstanding this week. So the one is I got my shirt from the AOS podcast. They blessed Uh-oh. me with a shirt. Appreciate Uh-oh. you, fellas. Be- appreciate you, fellas, for sending me the gear. That's what's up. That Secondly, what's up. Um, AOS podcast, they uh, they did a, uh, a segment for the uh, National Alliance of Public Charter Schools. And uh, and they're, what they presented was top 10. So that means that they get invited back for next year, too. So mm. shout out to Naomi Shelton, who um, 
who uh who facilitated uh their session and then shout out to the fellas man aos podcast they out here grinding appreciate y'all reef you know how you what, doing ray? baby you know what ray 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 <laughs> oh uh, all right yeah. check in with reef but go ahead go ahead man yeah. i'll come back no good to see y'all man missed y'all last week yeah, it's good to see you. Good to see you. Good to see you in your AOS. Is that purple on top of everything? Nice. Nice. I see. see. All right. All right. I see. Good stuff. That's what's up, man. That's what's up. I was just going to say. Come back to me. What's happening? I I was just going to say. Like you told people to put their numbers in the comments, and they're all good. But my sister Visha put a four. I think we should be concerned when anybody is below a five, right? Uh, we should ask our people what's going Absolutely. on when we get a four. Right, we got to check in with this. Yeah, so yeah. We, should, we, we will hey, be v, checking if you in wanna, with you. If though. you want to elaborate in the, you want to hit. Yeah, definitely got to check in with her. Yeah, yeah. So this week, man, set us up, y'all. Set us up, man. What are we talking about? Well, basically, we've been having these conversations, and everybody around the country is talking about education right now and what's going on. And so, you know, we have some talks and we were just like, yo, what do we feel like we should be going back to when this when COVID is over or not necessarily over, but in a place where we can kind of go back out safely. And and I know you had added the Freedom School part, Ray. But basically, what are our demands around you know, what we think should be happening when kids are going back to school, because we can actually grow from this moment. And there are a lot of people are worried, but people that do have the leverage and bandwidth to put their heads together. I do think we should be making some demands. So I think today we get to kind of jump into what those are. I got my six with me and I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing what the fellas have said. I haven't heard what y'all had to say. So some of these things might overlap, but uh, the eight black hands is, 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 you know, and we want to take this afterwards and put it out as what we officially recommended. Yeah. So, 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 how how should we go about it? Should we go point by point and then elaborate, or because you have six, I got six, and I'm sure that they got, you know. So how how you how we want to set this up? Want to set it up for success? I think we just keep going around, Robin. I think because I think some of them will get canceled out because we probably will have each other's, uh, maybe, you know, but however you want to do it, boss, Ray, you, you've been doing a good job, man. You've been killing it, bro. I, 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 it, I've been in charge of so much stuff this week, bro. I'm just like, yo, give me my directions. And I, I ain't got no smoke for nobody today, bro. I'm so tired. I'm just so happy to see you cats, bro. I normally, I would even be like, man, I miss arguing with Ray, but like, I really miss y'all. I, you won't even, you won't even get me arguing with you today, bro. So, you tell us how you want us to roll, man. <laughs> I feel it. I feel it. So point one, we'll start with you, uh, the young buck. Yeah, man. Uh, my point one was, I think that if you enroll in school X, you should also be able to take cyber classes from other high schools. And most of mine are around high school. But let me tell you what I mean. We've now seen that uh, distance learning is a thing. We've utilized it right as a as a as a mechanism of crises, but colleges, universities, there are cyber highs all over the country. I should be able to go to a school I want to go to, let's say my neighborhood school, but the school across the way has a a black history class before slavery and it counts. Uh, I should be able to be at my school and then enroll in a cyber in a cyber classroom uh, and have that kind of full experience coming out of this COVID stuff. Now that we know that we can, uh, 
that we can utilize distance learning. So I don't know if that's districts building a hub. I don't know if that's charters and districts and private schools coming together. I don't know if that's just some schools on their own doing it, but there should be a way where I can get a richer education uh, and still go to the school I want to go to. That's my number. That's my first one. That's what's that like, sense, fellas? ingenious. It does. Bro. It that, does. Yeah. I mean, Absolutely. I, I mean, I love the idea. I mean, you're talking about like access and opportunity, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, access. And, you know, there are a lot of decisions in Oakland. There are smaller schools that you might want to go to because your grandparents and a lot of people went there. But because it's so small, you can't offer, you know, black literature classes or, you know, these other kind of classes that might be there. And I just feel like, We've now done this. Um, now I think that we can actually expand it so kids don't get left behind or left out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you got kids. You got kids studying what they're interested in, and so therefore the level of engagement is going to increase substantially because I'm mm-hmm. taking the class that I want to take. Yeah. yeah, that's good stuff. Mm-hmm. Rick, Choice and voice. Point one. Uh, you know what? I, I would. I think point one for me is is eradicating this digital divide that people have been mealy mouth talking about for decades now. Um, I, I was in a classroom when I got into my first colorful. I don't even know what it was. Uh, Apple book, iMac, something. You know, I don't even remember what it was, but like it was that was a long time ago, man. And people were talking about the digital divide and we're still talking about it. Like just like, you know, uh, water, electricity broadband internet access is is just to be just a regular thing so that people can tap into this you know the space that uh dr cole just described Mm -hmm. i think like this should be like a just a non-negotiable that every family every child has access just as if they were you know one of the wealthiest kids in the planet and this is the wealthiest country so it really makes no sense that we're even having this conversation over and over again Not yep. the wealthiest country. Not the wealthiest country. Well, when I say wealthiest, I mean uh, they have access to the highest. Yeah, I mean, listen, we know Africa is the wealthiest continent, but they get they get you know they're uh, pillaged and raped, right? And all that wealth goes somewhere. A lot of it comes here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely does. Breezy, what's your what's your point one? <laughs> See breezy. <laughs> See in the house. Um, so my first one is fund the family. Um, so I, I think we need to revisit the way that we look at per pupil revenue and consider it a an educational um, subsidy directly to families instead of funding buildings and funding schools and programs um, and middlemen. I think we should fund the family and families should have full control over their per pupil revenue to make their buying decisions about what they're going to do, how they're going to piece together an education for their kids. Mm. That's what's up. That's what's up. I like it. That's what's up. What about you, uh, Ray? Uh, so for me, man, I, I, I want I want the uh, my first point is going to be a, a curriculum that is a factual that that's factual history. Nothing gets left out because it's ugly. So like right now, what happens is you got you got uh, history books that are basically factored in Texas history and California history. And because those are big market for textbooks, it kind of gives what Texans want you to know or or what California wants you to know as well. But it leaves out 
blatant history of, 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 of black folks and all of the good, great things, I'm sorry, great things that African-Americans have done along the way. And I think that when we focus on the truth, regardless of whoever it hurts, regardless of whoever it impacts, I think that that's going to make for a, a, a better and more sound education for, for our students. So that's, that's my point one. That's what's up, man. Mm-hmm. I like that. Mm-hmm. I like that. Uh, my point two is um, if if in before I go to my next point, does anybody want to touch on what Ray said? I thought that was a really good uh, piece, and that's actually my number six. I'll, I'll cross it out. Mine to go with yours, Ray, was our history, uh, black history, but that starts before slavery. Uh, so, like, I call it true black history, but I think that's that's included in what you just said. So I'll erase that out. Yeah, I think that this one is really important. Um, because it's hard to negotiate. Um, And when we talk about the old schools that we have had, because they are common schools and because we put everybody together and it's supposed to be kind of like the lowest common denominator of students coming all together, it makes it hard to negotiate what is going to be the history and the curriculum and how we're going to teach reading because you have so many different kinds of people in those schools and it's hard to please everybody, right? You got people that want to like have a chapter on slavery called When Cotton Was Came. Right. Right. You got like people that want to see happy slaves um, and they want to see heroic Confederates. And then you have people that want an African centered um, 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 history and education. You have people that want uh, a Chicano based uh, history and education. Right. Um, So anyways, I'm with you on that one. I think part of it like has to be figuring out how people get what they want <laughs> like by family by family how you if you want that confederate stuff god bless you let me let me put you in a place where you can have it <laughs> right now i get that i totally get that before i go on reef what about you you had any thoughts i thought ray had a really good one so i just wanted to yeah i mean i think off. just you know, we just continue to recognize that whiteness is the default. And, you know, and that's that's really, you know, they're they're writing the textbooks, they're creating the policies, they're buying it, they're choosing what to buy, all of that kind of stuff. Right. And so um, I, I love the idea of the students being centered, their history. And then when we when we just look at what voices are are not there. Let's start from there. Whatever whatever textbook you use, ask what voices are not there, um, whose experiences are not, you know, centered. And then that's a great starting point to figuring it all out. Mm. That's what's up, man. That's what's up. Uh, good one. That was a good one, Ray. Um, that got it. That got a response from everybody. Uh, this is more. Number two is more for California, but uh, it may affect other other uh, states as well. I just don't know what the, the language is for them. But it often it, does, right? It's the large, it's the it's right, large, right? right? Yeah, the only so. reason I'm saying that because we have what's called an A through G completion rate. So mm-hmm. basically publicly share A through G completion numbers every time we share or brag about graduation rates. And the mm-hmm. reason why I say that is because there's been a lot of pressure put on people in schools to graduate more black and brown people. So guess what? They just start graduating the more, you know, mm-hmm. but, when you look, <laughs> but in California, we have the largest uh, public university system and you have to have these A through G requirements done. So we'll brag about that stuff and a kid will have a 3.1 GPA, but won't even be eligible to finish the application to go to the largest 
university system. And y'all might not know this, but in California, if you have a 3.0 and you qualify A through G, you are promised a spot in the CSU system. Like you're mm-hmm. promised a seat. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and so that would be my number two is like tell people the full truth. Make sure parents are informed about where their kids are. And if they're behind, make them sign something like there are ways to force certain behaviors. Uh, but a lot of times parents don't even know what's going on because they're like, oh, look at these graduation rates. So that's my number two. Sorry to get in the weeds with that one. But it's just something I've been working on for a long time. Yeah, I, I don't think yeah, that's man. in the weeds. That's what we you should know? be doing. Highlight mm-hmm. our work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, don't, I, I think this idea of Reef, grade and play- point two. Wait yeah, a second. Just, now we was like we was <laughs> we was working a little bit off of Charles's one just because. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you, you're trying to run out the bank with all the money, right? You, you, you actually, you know what I think it is, right? I think you actually getting your feed might be a little delayed because I don't even know if you heard them talking when you just spoke. Uh, are we a little delayed on your end? I didn't. I did not. Okay. okay, I could tell by the way you were kind of jumped uh, in there. But yeah, <laughs> but, but, but <laughs> Rick and Chris was 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 going in on that. So y'all go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say that I I don't think you you had mentioned like it's in the weeds, (laughs) but uh, I I don't think it is. I think, you know, uh, grade inflation, um, I think, uh, you know, horrific and purposeful um, deceit when communicating to families. Right. Because if I can hide exactly how the child is after 13 years, I can hide my piss poor performance. Right. And so as as an educational system. And so if we you know, if we're more transparent and more honest, then I think it gets to where, you know, what you're saying. So, you know, that's that's what I was going to, um, you know, just mention about uh, your number two. Appreciate that, man. I had a question about it, though. So, so Charles, when you say that, are you thinking more about um, the transparency of actually keeping the community informed about what the outcomes are? Mm-hmm. Are you saying that because you care more about the numbers going up, like the number, like increasing the numbers of people passing? Yeah. Prepared? That's a good question. It's all of it. It's all of it. And, mm-hmm. you know, in that story that I was going to share is like from one of my best friends who thought he could go to school with me, got his grades up, graduated with a three point something, and then was denied by my university because he couldn't finish the application. And he ended up doing two tours in Iraq and one in Afghanistan. Like, thankfully, he came back home. But like, you know, that could have went really, really bad. And this is like I'm 37. Like this. This is almost, you know, this is almost 20 years ago when all this happened. Right. So it is a few things. It is one. Districts are deceiving people. Uh, So when they just so people out there know when they say we need you all to drop suspension rates and raise graduation, what happens is. Them black kids still get suspended. They just get in-school suspension and it doesn't go in the numbers the same way. So you have to be very specific with language. And two, it is um, when we talk about graduation rates, it's very easy to graduate somebody and push them through. There's a difference between a state given diploma versus actual like, you know, the grade diploma. Uh, IEPs can overwrite and you can get a diploma that way. So we have so many of these black and brown kids and people like, oh, man, y'all are doing great work. But when you look at the numbers, sometimes just half that number that graduated, that's even eligible. Um, so mm-hmm. it's, I, I mean it for all of it, Chris. And I, and I want the transparency so parents and students don't have to be at the whim of districts that can't get their stuff together. So that, that, that's how I meant it. Thank you for that question. So I could like clarify that. That's what Reason, I was it's on to. you. So, so on me for the number two. 
Is that what we're doing now? Yeah. Number two. All right. So my number two is personalization. Yeah. My number two is around um, is is thinking. First of all, we we couch this conversation in what we should ask for when we go back. And I just wanted to make a rhetorical point around we should never go back. We should always go forward. Right. Like our plan should never go be, be to go back to anything. So when I talk about this number two point for me, it's about resetting what school is, what education is. So. I want it personalized around the student. I want us to get back to remembering that the student is at the center of everything. It's the only reason that we have this discussion, that schools exist, that people get paid in schools is because there is a child and that child has an intellectual development need. They need to develop intellectually for a period of time and the state is funding that. So we get lost in everything else around the staffing, the teachers, the principals, the curriculum, the pensions, the legacy debt, the buildings, all of the stuff. And eventually that starts taking over. So now we have an opportunity since they gave us our kids back. Since the government said, here's your kids back, you got to do something with them. We have the opportunity to reset all of it and demand that every child has an IEP and not the IEP that we, the way that we have been thinking about IEPs in the past, but a way of thinking about them now where every child's education is personalized to them and they're not getting some, you know, uh, uh, I don't know what to call it, but the lowest common denominator type of teaching. When you put a bunch of kids together, you don't think of them as, individu as individuals and you bureaucratize, unionize, standardize, industrialize all of the work. Eventually you start losing focus that it's the kid. So I think IEP for every kid. Um, I do want to like put a markup for like summit learning is one of the things that got me thinking this first. I, I visited a school in D.C. No, no, no. I'm sorry. In Seattle, um, that uh, summit and the program that they use with the kids allows the kids to move forward or, or lag behind however they see fit to reach their own goals that they have preset that the parent, the teacher and the student are all aware of. And you can see it. I had a student pull up all of her stuff for me and I can see how on track she is for her college goals in a snapshot. Uh, and it was all determined by her, her mom, her dad and the teacher. Mm. So that's my number two personalization. I love that, man. I, I, I super love that. I, I've always been on that hype. And the other reason I think I agree with you, Chris, is because IEP supersede the law. So what that means is like you can actually have requirements and recommendations that fit for your child um, that can override what the school or what the district has going on. I've always felt that every black kid should have an IEP. It should be destigmatized and it allows us to actually hone in on what that child needs as opposed to trying to make everybody, you know, nothing is ever going to work for everybody. It's just not, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's not, and that's how our systems have to be. That's how government has to be because they have to serve everyone. It's a C, I call it a C mindset. So I agree with you, man. I, and I would be super down for that. And black people, you can advocate for your kid to have an IEP now. Um, that's right. If you put it in writing and you actually request it, they have to respond to you in California within 30 days written. And they play games with them right now. Mm -hmm. So this is why we would need our community-based organizations, our nonprofits, our civil rights organizations, legal aid, the ACLU, everybody to understand what the IEPs are, because right now districts play games with them. 
I would almost prefer that you file the IEP with the state, not with schools or districts, that you make a petition to the state saying this is the program that uh, that we have determined is best for my kid. Mm -hmm. What about you, Reef and Ray? That would be dope. Okay. I, I think that's a dope concept. Um, I mean, it's, it's similar in, in New York. You, you have like a, a time limit once that thing is filed in order for you to get back to parents. But it allows parents to kind of take it, it, it allows parents to take the lead. And so I'm, I'm, I'm all with it, man. That's a good suggestion. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, uh, you raise a good point of also having, you know, advocates. Right. Like, I, I think it's so important to have. You know, it may not necessarily be the the special ed teacher. You know, it may the parent may need someone else to to understand and what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because sometimes you get an IEP in some of these schools and districts. It's almost like that game I used to play as a kid: shoots and ladders. Your kid <laughs> is doing actually okay. Then they get that that IEP and they're like, "Oh, all right, you down to shoot, and you in that that room in that basement. You off to the side. You getting watered down everything." Even even your your uh, your drink in the cafeteria gets watered down. So I, I think you just got to be really, you know, uh, not only knowledgeable, but you got to like like be fierce about your advocacy and making sure that you have, you know, allies both outside of the system and hopefully inside as well. Um, because if not, you know, that's, uh, you know, it's, it's problematic, you know, because of what the how people have defined um the supports that students actually get. Um, mm-hmm. Somebody yeah. just said, uh, before I go back to you, Ray, somebody said everybody can't get an IEP. That's actually not completely true. Um, you can always make a request uh, to your district. You can appeal and say that I feel like my child needs an individualized education plan and they have to respond to you and the initial meeting has to happen. And if you can make a good enough case, you actually can get your kid on an individualized education plan. And just for parents to know, and this is true in California, I don't know if it's true other places, but you can have anybody and as many people as you want in that meeting. That means you can have your lawyer, your advocate, your social worker, your preacher, anybody that you want uh, in that meeting. And you don't have to sign whatever they come up with, or you can sign to say, we're going to actually pick up this conversation. It's a legal document that you enter in uh, with that. So I just wanted to put that out there. And thank you for your comment, Ms. Brown. Um, I don't, again, you might be in a, I don't know what state you're in, but it might be a, um, there might be a different name for it. David Hardy just talked about a 504 plan. I know that we can get into the weeds of it, but the point is, is that we should be forcing these districts. We should, but we should be forcing these districts, um, to, to, to bend to the will of you and your child. And I think Mm -hmm. they will, if you, sometimes they just, count on you not knowing the language. So, And I just want to say this, like when we talk about IEPs in the way that I'm, I'm proposing them, we have to rethink what an IEP is. Absolutely. Right. Like we can't do it the way way it is now. Right. Right. So we need to rethink what that could be and and make it more robust and make it more universal for everybody and definitely not replicate the process that we have right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when when you said I was thinking of like, you know, how families and your, you know, your pastor, your imam, like your your cousin that, you know, like people coming together and saying, like, this is what this child, this is their strengths. This is how we're going to build around it. This is how we're going to make sure. And then you bring that Mm -hmm. to the school and saying, hey, this is what we are saying our child needs. 
can you do this or not? <laughs> like you have to do this or do and pushing and challenging, you know, uh, you know, for that, you know, um, your, your number two, Chris was, was, uh, close to my number three, you know, um, with this idea of virtual learning, just Brief, be- you're not going to number. You're, you're not. <laughs> oh, sorry, my bad. My bad. Go ahead. Don't my go bad. to your number. You can't go to the TFA portion. No, the TFA portion of the discussion. I wasn't saying I'm skipping. I'm saying like his number two is mine. Like I want to. He's saying he's erasing his number three. He's like yeah. saying what it is. Yeah. Yeah, that's all I'm saying. I'm not saying I'm going to number three. Yeah. Ray, keep us honest, Ray. Keep us honest, bro. I got to keep y'all honest, man. <laughs> but uh, hey, yeah. so uh, uh, my number two is um, hmm, where are we gonna go? With this? All right, so so pri- everybody, everybody knows. Well, maybe not everybody, but you should know that um, prior to Brown v. Board of Education, uh, it was black dominance in terms of like teaching. There was a lot more black teachers, and there was a lot more black principals. Uh, we lost a lot in making that concession to uh, integrate schools. And so for me, uh, my number two is partnerships with HBCUs that uh, that kind of put the highlight and the onus back on high-performing Black teachers for Black kids. I think this is super important that we tap into HBCUs and that we make teaching um, a, a, a revered career again. Like right now, it, it, it seems like it's just like a a stopping point for pensionistas and, 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 and folks of that nature. Uh, sorry to take your coin. No, nah, do it, uh, bro. Do crazy. it. Do it. But, um, do it. <laughs> take it to the hole. But, um, yeah, man, we got to, <laughs> we, we got to get it back to where, you know, it's, it's more, it's more than just 2% black male teachers in that, you know, it, the kids have someone that look like them and emulates them in terms of showing them how great that they can be. I think that's extremely important in terms of um, in making mm-hmm. these uh, these schools be Wakanda schools instead of being what kind of schools. Hey, you, was, you was ready to get that off, weren't you? I you was, was about like, to say, leave him alone. Leave yeah, him alone. I'm not hey, mad at him with that. I ain't I'm mad, mad at him. At him. Nope. That's why, that, that's why he, was like, he was like, don't be going to number three right now because my number two is I got one in the I pocket. I got a line. Yeah, I got wait, one in wait, the pocket. Wait, I hit him with this Wakanda, Wakanda line. It's coming, son. I practice in the mirror, everything. He, he like Damn, I, miss you. I miss you boys. I swear to God I do. I'm so happy he got that off. Ray, look at look at that smile on Ray's face. He yep. wanted to get that off all day. He did it. I know. We need to walk away tomorrow and talk about that. I will say, Ray, what I like about this one, not, not just what I like about it, but what I want to bring up is on our book club over the weekend, the Eight Black Hands book uh, club for f- folks that are our Patreon members, by the way. Um, anyways, we were talking about black males in education. And uh, one of the things that came up as a point that keeps coming up, I keep bringing it up is as you guys try and recruit people into the field, you have to be honest with black males about the situation that they're coming into a highly feminized, very white um, um, thing that almost uh, uh, industry or, or profession that gives you additional unique challenges um, um, I don't know how to say it, but there's a little bit extra for you as a black male coming into this. If you're going to be in black advocacy and education, or if you're going to be a black principal or anything that disrupts the status quo, you're going to, someone's going to need to be honest with you that it's not just all hunky dory coming into a new profession and, oh, we need to raise the numbers of, of you coming here. Um, there's going to be some 
political, uh, um, racial things that that I think black men are going to feel some kind of way about once they get into the profession, once they're there, especially if they become a, pr- a principal and they think that they have that this the adequate power that goes along with being a, a building leader or being a, uh, a principal. And then they figure out that a handful of white teachers, white females can do the, I don't feel safe around you thing, or could do the, you know, um, you talk too loud thing or any of those type of things. And they're so common. We know that those things are so common and that they come up, but it's funny that a lot of people don't discover it until they discover it until they're there. No one like prepared them for the fact that, you know, this isn't gonna be a all, all hunky dory. <laughs> That's what's yeah. up. My I mean, people I, quit. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about this, uh, you know, the invisible tax, right? That that is applied on black people, black men in particular. You're, you know, you teach, you know, a hundred kids, but everybody's sending you another child to mentor because mm. well, you they listen to you, and so instead of, you know, uh, the principal giving you and paying you. Uh, to develop the other teachers. They just allow people to just send you. You're like, I don't even teach that kid. Yeah, I know, but you're black. He's black. Have at it, right? And so, you know, it, that's that's racism. <laughs> you know, and that, that's some, this is a small example of how it permeates throughout schools, right? Is this invisible tax. Like, you are uh, a black man, black person in this building, and and it's uh, they make it even harder for you. So, yeah, that's that's real. I mean, I think in the teacher college ain't going to tell you that. So we got to no. make sure we're telling you that. I should look for the link to the story in Seattle. It's uh, one of their principals of one of their big schools, pr- public schools in Seattle. And he's going he's talking about what it's like to be a black principal in a predominantly white district with pre- mm-hmm. predominantly white students. And he talks about when he first got to the building, uh, he met with the white parents. He's, uh, he's doing his due diligence, like to meet people and all that. He met with white parents. And they literally told him, a handful of white moms told him, you know that you don't really run this school, right? You know that we'll be here after you're gone and, you know, whatever. So just as long as you play the game the way that we want you to play it, you're good. And I think for him, that was a thing about like, whoa, damn, I never like knew, knew that it went down like this. But that is exactly how it goes down. And they're right. <laughs> they and might have on a, that building. So. But yeah, and it depends on the mindset, right? Like, the you know, my parent, my first meeting um, at the last school that I retired from, you know, my first meeting is like, hey, this is your school. Tell me what it is that's important. What should, you know, I be aware of all those kind of things. But they weren't saying that to me, you know, with this racist bent of you. Negro, you don't really know anything just because of the color of your skin, right? And so, like, I think that piece is is also important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, that's 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 yeah, a lot. So we, I, I think we got out of got out of sequence, you know, with Reef being long winded, and I don't know if he was <laughs> reflecting or if he was going off on one of his numbers or whatever. I'm just glad to see you, Reef. I'm, hey, just, I'm just glad you're Listen, here. I don't, I, I don't have like numbers. I I, I didn't see. I you know. I, I, anyway. I'm keeping track, Ray. I got you. I'm keeping track. We got yeah. we got two from everybody, but but Reef. So I mean, no, no, no. Yeah, two from everybody, but Reef. So yeah. read on the second one. Yeah. So, I mean, my number two, and again, everybody got different lists, different, you know, uh, order. Mine's was similar to to Chris's number two. I'm just switching them around. But just this idea, like how we approach education, um, that we should be really thinking of in this space, in chaos, right? If people were told like in chaos, black people should try to advance, advance, advance anyway. In this chaos, how do we advance our 
you know, educational demands, educational, um, you know, uh, platform? How do we change the ecosystem? And one of them for me is like this virtual learning. One, let's get it right. Um, this time around in the spring, we were caught off guard, except for who? Homeschooling parents, you know, they they were like, hey, we're OK. Uh, folks who already had one on ones, you know, folks who are already in this privileged space. I spoke to several, uh, you know, families and principals and they were like, yeah, we didn't really skip a large beat. It was it, we were OK. Right. Like so every what are the things that they have? They have the technology. They have the professional development. They have the understanding to think differently out of the everybody sit in a row and learn. And so I think this whole idea of reimagining uh, what it looks like, you know, families may want to tap into uh, Kaya Henderson's uh, new organization, Reconstruction, mm-hmm. right? And get mm-hmm. that that added uh, support as, as black families. You know, if you look at reconstruction.us, you'll see like, hey, they're going to be offering supplemental, uh, you know, courses and, and knowledge and understanding and access to to tutors. You know, that that's one example of how we can kind of reimagine things. Like we don't have to rely on the decrepit building and constricted mindset that may be down the street from you. Mm, that's what's up, man. That's Kai awesome. has a new org. Hey, Kai, hit me up. <laughs> I'm out here. <laughs> hey, Charles, up to you, baby. Number three. Yeah, hey, before I answer number three, I got to make sure I do the thing that y'all want me to make sure I do. People, if you want to support the Eight Black Hands, uh, aside from joining Patreon, which you should, and we will give out that website, which is patreon.com slash ABH. What we need you to do is share this. Please take a moment right now and share this and share it with a comment so it catches the attention of the community. Uh, We don't have, we don't pay for much advertising. We don't have a lot of other people working for us. So we want to get these resources to as many people as possible. And what we discussed was being a resource for you all to kind of even help forth these thoughts. But we can't do that without you. So once you share, please drop in the comments that you shared it. And that would be really, really helpful for us. Um, Number three. Mm. Number three kind of builds on what I've already said, because this is like a, a skill that educators should have. It's like building on top of their points so it all stays relevant. But life skill courses. And what we mean by that is that really teach our community and people based on their needs of what they need to know. So what I've heard from students is they want to learn about money management. They want to learn about investments. They want to learn about savings. They want to learn about credit. They want to learn about entrepreneurial skills and how to make, you know, how how to kind of make a way for themselves. Uh, It has to become an integral part of like urban curriculum. And the reason why we're saying that is because every time I've talked to thousands of students and I'm sure all the hands can also attest to this. They have always said there are not many topics that actually hold my attention or that's that that compare to my real life. And we have to change that. Like. Education and curriculum should not be cookie cutter, one size fits all. You have a different body of students and different communities throughout the country, and it should actually replicate what people have going on and what they need. So that's my number three is to actually add in some real life skills that will make sure our kids don't graduate just to live in squalor. Mm. I love really it. Like hey, that one also, too. in addition to that, in a in a an addendum would be intro to common sense because <laughs> we focus so much on book sense to where you know, a lot of these kids don't really have common sense, man. I, hey, listen, I see it every day. I see it personally. We don't want them to and have so, common sense. Yeah, we need. They, to- we don't want them to have common sense because common sense, like 
the herd is stupid. Actually, good sense is uncommon. <laughs> good sense is really uncommon. Honestly, we want our kids to have uncommon sense because <laughs> good sense is really uncommon. Like, especially look around you right now. Look at the political debate that we're having right now. Common sense is dumb right now. <laughs> Um, anyways, <laughs> but I'm with you. I know what you mean. I get it. <laughs> I mean, and, and I think, you know, like it's, I said, it's I on mean, you. Number oh, go ahead. Go ahead. You're good. Where are we going to number two? Three, I, was putting, right. I was putting them on. Yeah. Number three, Chris, three. Oh, number three. So my number three kind of relates to something that Charles had said in the beginning around, um, well, I don't know how he said it, but I'm calling it unschools. Um, there it has, we got to be thinking about school differently now. So the idea that school is a building with seats and desks and rows and, and what we have known it to be before that worked for the time that we had it before, but in the interest of not going back, but going forward and this opportunity that we have to reset and rethink, we could have schools without walls. We can have the city as a classroom. We can have um, schools that are not based on seat time uh, that are based on something other than bells and seat time and, and, you know, discrete, um, um, categories of learning and and grades and all of that. So I'm thinking about unschooling right now, not homeschooling or de-schooling or even uh, um, um, kind of the hybrids that we're talking about right now. But let's strip it all the way down and, and start back up again from the beginning and build it up again based upon look at your city around you. Sharif, you're in, you're in Philadelphia, Chicago, you're, you're uh, Charles, you're in Chicago and Oakland. Um, um, you know, I'm near the Twin Cities. Who knows where Ray is? Like out in the, the anyways. We're, we're, we're world class cities. And in these world class cities, we have world class libraries and art museums and learning opportunities. In our states, we have uh, agrarian uh, opportunities to learn about agriculture. Um, we should actually be thinking about school differently with all the resources that we have in our cities, our towns and our rural areas. We could do something vastly different. I mean, what would be wrong with the kid graduating, understanding how you milk a cow, right? Um, how you calculate mortgage interest, right? You know, um, with the great piece of funny, Chris, when I went that. to school in Kentucky, I learned how to milk a cow. I learned how to make butter and line dance. They made sure that they kept their cultural stuff intact. I like it. They had little black kids on a dairy farm. We were churning. We were doing a bunch of stuff. We learned how to ride horses. And uh, we went to Civil War sites when I was in the third grade. That was how I got lessons. There's um, There's a school in Detroit that was like that for years. And I actually met a woman who was a my Lyft driver in Detroit who went to the school. It was on a farm. And they were taking black kids out of Detroit and put it and t- send them to his farm. Turns out it was for uh, um, pregnant moms, teens who were still in school. And my Lyft driver, who was telling me about this school, was working on her master's degrees and graduated with her daughter, who she was having when she was back in that school back in the day. Wow. At the same time, they both graduated at the same time. She put me in touch with the principal there, um, but they both graduated. And not only was it for her, it was for her child. So her child had world class child care from day one because that was part of the program. Like, like, you know, we take care of the kids. They she said that they made goat cheese way back before goat cheese yeah, was cool. Before it was cool, right? Um, so, anyways, that's my number three. 
<laughs> that's what's up, man. That's uh, I, I think I heard you tell that that lift story before, man. And every time you tell it, it's even more powerful because of just like just that family harmony, man. I love that. It's good stuff. Um, I'll never forget it. Yeah, that's what's up. So that we got your number three. Who's Yo. next, Ray? I'm next. All right. So okay. um, shout out to Brandon Weish, man, because he was one of the only page patrons that, uh, that that hit me back to let me know what he thought about, you know, what what a perfect school should have. And this was actually in one of my lists on, on, on my list as well is um, wraparound services for students and families and partnerships throughout the community. And so by uh, uh, creating these wraparound services, meaning that if a family is uh, is having mental health issues in the family, then they can also reach out to the school because there's a school psychologist that will also help members of the family as well. And so by doing it that way, you're cutting down on the trauma that kids are experiencing at home. So when they come to school, they have a free thinking mind to learn. So uh, being able to address mental health, not just for the students, but having wraparound services for the families as well. I think that would be dope. And that would also be ideal in terms of um, creating these kind of schools. So mm. that's my thought three. That's what's up, man. That's what's up. And then that just leaves Reef. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, my number three is and it's really you know, probably number one, too, but uh, just having anti-racist teachers, um, what, you know, uh, folks who are who are not anti-black, no matter who they are, um, you know, folks who know how to teach black children virtually in person, you know, whatever it is that they have a healthy understanding of and respect. And it shows not only in, in their verbiage, uh, but also in their work um, that they you know, understand and respect and love black children uh, and and not using it as education, as this kind of lever to further punish, to further marginalize. And so whatever school looks like, uh, you know, I, I think that's for me is is absolutely important because the mindset itself is what we got to focus on. No matter where we are, the mindset of how you view the people you're supposed to serve is is going to it's going to be revealed in how you teach, what you teach, what you say. Um, so for me, that's, uh, you know, that's paramount. Mm. That's what's up, man. All right. Hey, Reef, why are you always going off on these people? Why are you always going off on these people? Every point that you made tonight has been about some other hue of people and how they treat black no, kids. I, I what, said what's black, with you, I right? said, listen, I said black people too. There's plenty of anti-blackness in our communities as well. People have been taught by their oppressors and they got A's, A pluses, <laughs> you, you know? <laughs> we got folks like, come to the front of the class because you know what? You you know, you you are my Negro and you're going to help me. <laughs> you're going to help me oppress these people. They like, yep, we, we sure is. Yep. I got a PhD. I can help. <laughs> oh my God. Here we go. All right. Charles, clean this up. Clean this up, Charles. Clean this up. I got you. I got you. Dr. Brother, Cole, got you. clean this up. I'm with you. Uh, hybrid school models that utilize both in person relationships with our ever expanding technological capabilities. Now, think about this. Think about if you are a single mom and you got kids and you work in like what if you actually could alter your kids school schedule similar to that of like at a university or 
other things that we see that allows you to be more involved with your kids schooling, make sure that they build in good relationships and able to take some classes uh, online that they may not need to be in there with. So I know I kind of mentioned this, but this is a little bit different where it's a full adopted hybrid school model that actually works uh, and, and, and can kind of help out families. So for instance, for some families, it's tough for them to get their kids to school at eight o'clock or seven o'clock in the morning. And like, um, and there are some places that are trying to start school later and go to a later time because they are just in a working community and parents shouldn't have to make a decision between putting food on the table and being supportive of their kids' education. So again, we are in a technological moment uh, and schools still look the same as they did 100 years ago and that's a problem. Mm. Mm. Hey Charles, somebody's trying to get you to, to share where you got your grill from. I'm about, to, I'm about to just type Paul Wall. <laughs> well, you know what, man? In, in Oakland, bro, you can you can throw a rock and hit a and, and hit a hit a uh, a grill spot. So it depends on where you live. You tell me where you live, bro, and I, I we'll talk offline. And I and I and I I got you. But how do people feel about that hybrid model, right? Because some people might be like, "That shit is stupid." So, but I think there's a way to do it. So I wanted to make sure I opened it up to y'all. Well, who's gonna say it's stupid? I'm t- the union. So I'm telling you. When you said people, you didn't say the union. I'm gonna tell you. Like we tried to expand the school day. Let me tell you, Chris. I'm just in two seconds. In, in twenty seconds, we, the parents, those teachers at that school, and students were all on board of expanding school days and adding Saturday school. And the union shut that thing down behind doors. And what the superintendent was offering was for any of those teachers that saw bonuses and rises in their students, like in their comprehension, whether it was grading or other factors, not just testing, uh, they were going to get a bonus. And the union said, nope. So there will be some people that have an issue with my hybrid school model. I dealt with it. I I saw them and no parent heard what those people said or saw those memos. Yeah, this is why we got to reset our relationships. These are our children um, that go to these schools. And I think for years they have forgotten that. So this is a great opportunity to reset expectations. So we don't have to tell stories like this is what the parents want wanted, what the educators wanted, what the students wanted, and the union. Who the hell is the union? Like, what, 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 help me understand how the union has more power than what parents want, right? The union is an employee group. First of all, let's just start with that. And it's a public employee group and it's a private organization. Unions are private organizations that represent public employees um, and their best interest. The idea that they would overrun democracy or that they would have an outsized influence on what gets done in schools and who can do what. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. That's one thing that we need to to reset in our expectations is who has the say uh, on whether or not we have a longer day or not, whether or not we do the thing that you're talking about. Can I can I can I respond, fellas? Uh, there we have two comments. We got two comments that actually feel some kind of way about it. And so, uh, thank you for your comment, Teach Forever Fifty Four. He said, "Don't forget to take teachers' families into consideration when you talk about adjusting schedules." So here's what I would ask: I would ask that the first question that we ask around this is, "How do we make it work?" Versus why that why won't it work, right? Because there is a world where those schedules can actually stay the same, and maybe I'm taking those hybrid classes early in the morning or I'm taking those online classes at night or whatnot. But I always want to start first with students and their families 
in their schedule first because they're not being paid to go to those schools as opposed to folks that are going to be paid. So I don't want to I don't want it to seem like I'm coming down on your comment. I appreciate it. And I think we can have that. I mean, we're, we're given a list of things that would all have to be worked out and systematized. But what I'm trying to do is have us rethink what school can look like and how we can actually have more access for students and families. Now, if the only thing getting in the way of that is like teacher schedules and their family life. I mean, we can have that conversation. We prioritize Karens in the classrooms way too much. We prioritize their feelings. We prioritize their 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 um, their thoughts. They think that they're the experts when they're not. Experts actually have results and we're not getting the results that we want for our kids and haven't been having them. So if this is what experts look like, uh, we don't need any of those type of experts. But we have to start pushing back on this complete centering of the entire system around these people in the classroom who are public employees who have forgotten that they are public servants and we're not going to organize entire systems around their feelings and around around them. Every time we have this discussion, we start talking about any of this. Remember the teachers. Don't forget about the teachers, the teachers, this, the teachers, that the the teachers are college educated, middle class people who do not live in the neighborhoods where they are teaching. They've already made their thing. They got their bag. Right. So their bag is set. The idea that we would center everything around them and instead of centering it around student learning, because if student learning isn't happening, you don't have a school. You are not a teacher. This is not a classroom and you are not a school if student learning is not happening. So if you want to talk to me about prioritizing teachers, I will prioritize the one who can post some receipts in these discussions and say, these are the results that I have had and they are good. So now listen to me. Right. And I will. I'll be all ears at that point. Post your results. I'm all ears. Right. You post good results. And I'm like, well, damn, I guess you are the expert. Hey, y'all. Thank thank you all for letting me uh, make sure I addressed it. And, and, and ma'am, thank you for your comment. I think it started a good conversation. So go ahead, Ray. I, I pr- appreciate y'all giving me that grace. Reef. Yeah, no doubt. Reef is on you. What number we are? No, I know what number you. We on four. We on four. I got it. It's on me. All right. So, yeah, yeah. So, 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 my centers around school choice. I, I think somebody might have hit on this, but I don't know if they went into it the way that I'm. I'm going to go into it. But uh, parents should be able to choose whatever the hell they want to send their mm-hmm. kids. Because parents are the experts of their children and a parent will know what school is going to be the best fit for their child. And so what I mean by that is not just saying, you know what, this is a charter school. This is a neighborhood school. Let me uh, decide which one is that. No, hell no. I want parents to be able to go in and interview these jokers that's going to be in front of their kids and then make a sound decision based off of interview uh, interview process mm-hmm. to where I can determine what's going to be in the best interest of my child so that I can say, you know what, my child's going to learn better here or my child's going to learn better there. Because a lot of times, you know, parents will put their kids in schools not really knowing, like, who these people are that they're sending their kids to. And so, you know, you guys say it all the time on Freedom Fridays, you're sending your kids to the enemy. Well, damn that, let's stop sending our kids to the enemies by knowing who these people are prior to even sending our kids to them. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I love this mm-hmm. point. I love this point. Well, riff on it, then, brother. Go ahead. Got- <laughs> I mean, y'all know, y'all know what I think about this. Like, I think he's. He, I think you're absolutely right, Ray. I don't think we demand this right enough. 
I don't think that we demand the right to determine, to be the presidents of our kids' education, the deciders, the sole deciders, the determinants uh, of our child. We, we act like we're passive uh, to the systems themselves. And uh, I think your point is absolutely right. Parents should be in power when it comes to education. And by being in power, that means nobody is giving you that power. You have it. It's a human right. And uh, and if people don't, if they want to agree with you, they have to negotiate with you. They can't just tell you what's going to be up. This is your assigned school. Ghettoizing your kids, red, uh, uh, redlining your kids into circumstances that everybody else has, has run from. Mm-mm. That'll never work. That'll never be good. So I'm with you 100%. I love this point. Yeah, that was a good point, Ray. Ray Reeve, did you want to go in on Ray's point or... Yeah, I mean, I I, lo- I love it. I mean, the more the more involved parents are, and again, it's it's not that they're not involved. I, I think schools purposefully, you know, push them aside. <laughs> they're like drop either it's extremely unwelcoming as soon as you get to the front steps, um, let alone to the front desk, mm-hmm. uh, or you know, once they get in, it's 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 like this, you know, uh, verbal and nonverbal language of drop them off. And, and get out, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and, you know, and I, I just can't imagine like as a parent, you know, and then they'll say, oh, parents, you're not, you need, we need your support. Like you didn't give them respect. <laughs> you know, they're, they're only sending them the, their child there so they don't go to jail. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, so they don't get fined. Like, and if they could, they would opt out. Right. In the same way, as you said, like thousands of other families that are opting out when they have the uh, the privilege to do so. And so I think, you know, folks really need to, and whether it's virtual or not, people need to really rethink. And it starts way back in teacher college. How are people being trained and developed to support, you know, families, to understand what it means to actually be of service to someone? You know what people are going to say, Sharif? What's that? And Ray, to both of y'all, you know what people are going to say to you about this point? The most reflexive knee jerk point when you make this point, these 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 type of suggestions and proposals is what about the parents that aren't smart enough to do it? What about the ones that don't know how to make good choices? What about the ones that aren't informed? What about the ones that don't know what a good school looks like? What about the weakest of the weak, the poorest of the poor, the ones that are so stupid they don't know how to open a can of mayonnaise? Like (laughs) they don't even know that mayonnaise don't come in a can. You know what I'm saying? Um, That is like the like like. Maybe five years or so ago, Ed Post did a poll. And one of the things that we found out in the poll and polling parents was um, they had lots of different ideas about school choice and everything else. But when it came down to blame, parents blamed other parents for the problems in the schools The the, the parent blame game. And the 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 infantilizing of parents or the looking down on them as not capable is is so robust. It's like it's 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 just a, it's settled science. People li- really go to that right away. What about the parents that can't fend for themselves? So mm. what say you do in proposing that? Yeah, I mean, one, I think, you know, we always have to resist this whole class issue. I think a lot of times it comes out, you know, in that way, uh, whether it's parents, whether it's educators, whoever it is. I think secondly, like people, you know, I, I just even the parents that I've met that were struggling, they still love their kid. And they wanted their kid to do better than they had. And they may, you know, they they may have had misgivings about certain things or their experiences or misconceptions. But, you know, they couldn't say that, you know what? Oh, they just they're disrespectful to me. Um, 
you know, and so I think a lot of it is communication and, and that's part of what the school's job is to build relationships. Right. And acknowledge like, you know what? Yeah, you may have had a really negative experience and now your child is here or your child transferred in or even with us. Maybe something um, happened and parent has to give us direct feedback. Like if we're not receptive to that, you know, then then it's problematic. We always just want to blame. Oh, well, that parent didn't graduate or that parent doesn't have this or that parent exhibits this like that's that's not the humility that that servant leaders, the, the folks who are supposed to be in schools, the what educators are supposed to be, you know, like that's not that's not compatible to the type of educator that we need, that our children need, that our communities need. So, I mean, frankly, they should exit out. You know, if, if that's their mindset, their mentality, they shouldn't be in this space. Mm, I agree. I mean, Ray, you you gave us one, bro, because that, that's that's a great that took us on one. Yeah, that was that was your uh, number four. So I, 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 I want to, yeah, I want to, I, I kind of want to uh, just piggyback off Reef. Listen, if you're in this audience and you are connected to the eight black hands and you rock with us, that means we rock with y'all. So if you have a, a circumstance in school, an IEP situation, it doesn't matter what district you're in across the country. If you have a problem at your school and you need some help, you need solutions, you need some guidance, you want a thought partner, hit me in the DMs. I will get back to you as soon as I possibly can in order to lead you in the right direction as to how to address any situation that you need to. And this is a free eight black hand service because we rock with y'all that way. And if I can't help you, I got an alpha and an omega and a sigma that can help you. They are all school leaders and we can lead you in the right direction. Oh, mm. that's what Charles, that's what I'm it sorry. stands for. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, no, I, I just know we had. I, I did my number four. You did yours, Ray. It was still if Chris and Reef had Reef. Uh, number four. Yeah. Right. I, so are we going long? Because if we are, we just might as well put our 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 last two points together. Okay. Yeah, we are going yeah. long. So go ahead and do your last two points. That, 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 that's fine. We we no, no, go, no, go Reef. You go Reef. Go ahead, man. All right. Uh, I would say. You know, my last I'll, I'll just put it all together. I call this get your chickens in your garden together. Right. Like, <laughs> so, listen, listen, I you know, everybody on the podcast has said something um, to this effect. You know, don't just rely on what was don't you know, reimagine what is it that you want your child to, to learn to have. Reach out to community members. So, you know, can your child do an apprenticeship somewhere? Right. Can they do an internship? You know, and it can be virtual. Like what it is. What are they curious about? What you know, because you Chris said this last week or a couple weeks ago. Right. You can't stop a child from learning, you know, and we can put barriers to their learning. But we can also let's open it up. There's so many barriers to, to children's learning. This is why they're often not engaged in these schools. So find some chickens, find a garden. Find some bugs, you know, mm-hmm. and um, and and find the different ways that, that kids can learn, man. But listen, I when I think about my sister and their homeschooling, this girl had chickens and 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 a garden and and planting and and library trips every single day. Like that's we can do that virtually, you know, mm-hmm. virtual tours of you know of different countries in Africa and South America and everywhere. Just try it's it's wide open. Don't don't. Don't limit don't limit your child's learning. It is wide open. Get them get them chickens. Join that 4-H club. <laughs> I love this point. Uh, I love that Charles, like uh, in Kentucky, had access to animals, real animals or whatnot. I love that you're talking about chickens. Um, that that story I told you about in Detroit. Get kids out of the concrete and get them into seeing you know something else. 
you know, and, and then you can teach through that. You can teach biology through that. You can teach chemistry through that. You can teach all kinds of like different lessons about it, even history around it. So I love it. Um, you guys have heard me talk about this before the school in the Bronx, New York. It's an Afro-vegan school started by two educators who didn't want to put their kids in the New York public schools. So they started like a co-op and it was like the kids eat what they grow and um, they have their hands in dirt every day. And it's it's a peaceful community. It's small. The parents are very much the 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 workers there. Um so th- there you go, Reef. You can even have one of those schools with chickens in the middle of a city like New York. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you could have put a beehive on your roof. No, so we're not doing all that. That's <laughs> done. Now you're doing too much. Now you're doing too much. One, one more level. Uh, Chris, you want to combine yours, brother? All right. I'll quickly just combine mine. So my last, my number four was um, self-selected learning communities. Like I just mentioned with the Afro-vegan folks who actually kept their kids out of school and they had two or three friends that were parents that said, well, if you're going to do that, can we, you know, can we do this together? And before you knew it, they had enough parents, I think maybe 10, 12, 11, to start a little learning community that was self-designed. And because everybody is self-selected into the learning community, it's not like schools where you throw people together and you have all kinds of problems because you're just throwing people. People have a different level of interest and involvement and support when it's self-selected in. So the opposite of the the desegregation model where you you bust up schools and, you know, and then you throw people together and you expect magic to happen. And it doesn't because nobody's invested in it. Parents can't get to the new school where you're sending their kids on the bus miles away and all that. Self-selected learning communities to me is getting away from the school model. It's just not talking about school and conflating that with education. Everything should be about learning. Where are you going to put your child to learn? Anyways, the, the last point to on top of that was we have to have an expanded view of what constitutes a teacher. Mm. So the, the, the idea that the teacher is what we get now that we, we, we actually induct teachers from the bottom of the collegiate cognitive pool. Um, and then we uh, license them and involve them, embalm them with lifetime union benefits. But we, exile other people who might want to be in the field and be teachers um, by trying to tell them they should go back and do all the school again and all of that. When we have people in our communities who we have community-based experts that could and should be teaching our kids every day because they know something about something and they're revered in their fields. Um, They're very good at what they do um, and they can be taught to teach kids. So we need to expand the view of what constitutes a teacher. Mm -hmm. And just uh, listen up, man. You, yo, you dropped that jewel, man. We can't just sign off. We're going to go to 120. So if, if you, if anybody needs to sign off from here, hey, do do what you got to do. We understand. We we respect it. We love it. But we're going to 120, man. We're giving these fans what they want. It's what? Damn, you see the number just climb. Charles, go ahead, man. Jump back yeah, in. Man. Uh, well, here's my five. Here's my fifth. And I'm not making any fans for myself with the last two. But uh, here's a revolutionary thought. A system where students can evaluate their teachers in a meaningful way. And what I mean is actual student feedback in a scientific way that's triangulated with how you're performing, your what your boss has to say, your coach or whatever. But students should actually be a part of your um, 
just your process. And it's, it's a large enough pool that if somebody's just picking on you or whatever the case is, it'll kind of get weeded out and use common sense. I'm not talking about kindergartners and preschoolers. I'm talking about let's use because as Chris said, that common sense ain't so common. So I feel like I have to say it. But hmm. <laughs> if there are students for 10 years that are saying I'm not learning in this class, this person does not see me, this person does not represent me or any of that stuff, at some point that has to carry some kind of weight. And it can't just be the rich white parents kid who's, you know, who is donating or whatever the case is where they kid, their opinion means something. I think mm-hmm. that it should be a part of your evaluation. And we do this in universities. You can go on any university, any professor, look them up. It's like a Facebook of, of, of professors and uh, people are honest about their experiences. I think mm-hmm. that that's something that should be there. And I won't even look at the comments. <laughs> I won't even look at the comments hey, right hey, now. Hey, the, that part. the comments is rocking with you. The comments, say, the comments nobody, are rocking with you. Our audience isn't going to give you a hard time. You know that. Our audience isn't right. giving you a hard time. Right. But how do you feel about that though? I just, hey, but the I, reason why they rock the reason why they're rocking with you. Go ahead, Ray. The reason why they're rocking with you is because it makes it makes perfect sense. Right. Bro, listen, if you had a, in a university setting, it does not matter what university that you're in. Right. If you got a shit teacher in a university and he's getting bad reviews semester after semester, they're gonna get him the hell up out of there. No tenure is going to happen or whatever. Right. But like if you really go into a public school system, you got people that give you great energy for the first three years, and then once they receive tenureship, they become immovable objects. Mm. And so people may not like that in the comments, but hey, it is what it is. I've seen it. I've seen it. I've worked with those people. I agree. I'm making it up. I, I agree. I, I was just curious to see what y'all thought about it. I feel, I feel very strongly about it. And, I, and the students I work with feel very strongly about it as well. I like that you use the word in a meaningful way, the words in a meaningful way, though. Mm-hmm. Students should be able to evaluate their teachers in a meaningful way. Absolutely. I don't know what that way is right now. I don't know what the instruments that would be used for that. Um, so I agree with you. I think the pushback and the fight that you would get from people in buildings and people who do this work is that they've tried variations of this and it turned into things like popularity contests or, right. you know, revenge um, for bad grades or, you know, other things. So I love that you put the highlighted you highlighted the in a meaningful way part because there needs to be some sort of model like somebody needs to figure out how you do it yeah i mean i I would just say you know it that was part of our teacher evaluation is is uh student surveys and and we we weren't alone a lot of a lot of schools around the, the country would uh you know would use it and you know to 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 challenge folks who would say oh you know the kid had a bad day. You have a hundred kids. They ain't all have a bad day. They, <laughs> not, they, they, you know, they, they not all creating this conspiracy like, oh, let's do this. And, you know, the commons. And for us, it, it wasn't like, you know, and as as a leadership team, we didn't use like, oh, see what the, what the uh, students said. What we would try to do is look, what is the common thread? Mm-hmm. If, a, if a high percentage of students say like, you know what, you talk real slick to them. And your sarcasm, your sarcasm is getting in the way of you building relationships. Then you need to hear it. Part of part of the being, you know, being this uh, educator is being receptive and modeling. Hey, here's the feedback. Our best teachers, they would go and they would they would look at the you know the the comments and the score, and they would tell their class, Hey, y'all, I got this feedback. This is what I'm going to be working on in the next couple months, and I want you to tell me how I'm doing. That's Absolutely. what I. 
That's what our best educators would do. That's what our best teachers would do. And that's what I would want for any any child to be heard. Because the one thing that children want, they want to be heard and they want their voice to be valued. Absolutely. We can model that as educators if we and want. Just, and just to your point, Chris, it's a triangulation, right? So again, like Sharif said, it's 100 kids. So there's going to be outliers. We can get rid of that, right? There's, there's also going to be a triangulation with your performance. There's also going to be triangulation from your principal or your vice principal, whoever is evaluating you. And if you have a coach, like it's not just one thing that goes into the pot, right? Exactly. Like it's a scientific process. But like we said, if, if, if 90 out of 100 students is like, yo, homie is whack, right? Like that should actually matter for something. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that's, that's kind of what I mean. And, and I appreciate you highlighting the meaningful way piece because it's not, we're not being flippant. We're not saying we're going to go off that one student and what that one student said, but it's a, it's a whole bunch of data that goes into that and how the end user receives your product should mm-hmm. actually matter. I mean, this is where you, like where you were expecting some pushback. Um, this is where I think you should. And and Sharif, two of y'all can tell me whether I'm off base on this. But in my experience, teachers really do not like evaluation and don't believe that it is ever done well, um, except for when it's done by their peers, like their peer assistance review, which is basically just a trick to make it so that no teacher ever gets fired, but goes through some long process that looks like they're being being handled. But uh, they don't like evaluation. Just honestly, they don't think that principals are smart enough to do it. They don't think that districts know what they're talking about. They don't think outside experts know what they're talking about. Yeah, man. They certainly don't think that parents and and students know what they're talking about. Tell people a dirty little secret, Chris, about how this kind of goes. Let me tell you one dirty little secret. And you probably noticed as 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 a board member, Sharif and Ray probably noticed as administration as well. There are active principals that's trying to improve their schools, but know that they can't fire certain teachers that will give parents like parents will come and complain or whatnot. And they will activate those parents and give them language (laughs) that they have to use in messages to them or in PTA meetings or wherever or in board meetings. So then they can actually take action on that part because of like where things are in the union. I've seen it happen. I've I've Mm -hmm. seen it so many times. And it's like, yo. Is Ray, what's your thought? Ray, Ray, what's you what you waving? Am I off, Ray? Am I wrong? I don't know. You don't give that away. You don't give that away. You don't give that away. Hey, you are telling the speakers now, but you know, historically, that's what uh, before Brown, black educators used to give the community the weapons they needed to advocate for the Absolutely. things they couldn't advocate themselves. So there's a history to doing that. Absolutely. And, there, and but the, the bigger question shouldn't be, why am I giving that away? The bigger question should be, why should I have to go through all that if I'm the leader of this school, supposedly? If I'm actually supposed to uphold quality education or whatever the case is, why do I have to go to that if, a, if an army of parents are telling me that they feel like this teacher is abusing their kids? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I feel, I, I mean, I just hey, feel bad put, for hey, hey, listen, hey, listen. Hey. hey. You put that in a you put that in a chapter of a book, bro. You don't put that. Listen, maybe it don't happen in your district. I don't know. Maybe it don't happen in your network. I'm just you telling know, you. You know what happens it, everywhere. It, it happens. It happens. It happens you know everywhere. It, it happens everywhere, bro. But listen, hey, listen. 
when I was when I was a teacher, I was extremely reflective. If ever I wanted to know that I didn't have a if I didn't have a good lesson or if I did have a good lesson, I went to a core group of kids that I knew that were going to be honest with me, and I asked them. I was like, "What did you learn today?" And if they told me they didn't learn anything, then I know it was a shit lesson, and I had to go back to the table and reorganize my thinking so that next period I was able to connect with my kids. But a lot of people don't want to be reflective. A lot of people don't want to put themselves out there. You know, there's no hurt feelings in education, bro. It's all about getting better. Every day you walk in, you walk in with a clean slate and you're trying to get better. And then you erase everything that the kids do when they walk in the next day. They got a clean slate. And if everybody has a clean slate, then every day we're working towards a goal. And that goal is to educate our kids. That's where we got to be in education. Mm-hmm. I agree. Damn. I once asked a teacher to see her, her resume and credentials and she resigned. God damn. <laughs> what? That is crazy. That's crazy. Nicole just said that uh, <laughs> wow. David, David Castillo said unions are about power for their members. Nothing about children. Show us something different. And there was another person that I think will become a an instant fan of Chris and Rashad. Uh, Rashad, no one wants to talk about these unions. Oh, we got some people that want to talk about unions. Chris <laughs> will talk about unions. And can you actually just pump Rashad's thing real quick, Chris? Because uh, I come and have um, Rashad has I, a, a Sunday a Sunday school y'all should attend. <laughs> <laughs> he does a lesson every Sunday and he goes deep. He goes hard. He goes deep. He's going to be on my show, my morning show on Tuesday morning. So please watch it. Um, he talk about unions. <laughs> does. He doesn't care. It's, it's funny that we have to talk about it like this, like th- there's something scary about just telling the truth about unions. But what I have found in my time in education advocacy is people are afraid. People know the real. They have dealt with the unions, the teachers unions. They have negotiated with them. They know what goes on behind closed door and they refuse to tell the public the truth. Mm. They, even when they're getting even when they're getting dragged by the unions, they refuse to tell the truth about their draggings. Um, superintendents are scared as hell of the unions, just scared as hell. That's why they do all that happy talk. We so gladly came to an agreement. You know, we we, you know, made life better for all of our students and blah, blah, blah. Behind closed doors, it didn't look nothing like that, man. You gave up half the farm again and got nothing in return. And the union is a cartel. They are criminally insane and they have one agenda, less accountability and more money. That's the only thing that they ever, 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 ever negotiate is more money less accountability. You could do it in any city. You can look at their teacher's contract in any city and sit in any room in any city where they're negotiating that contract. And these bosses are boss bosses, right? They make the Crips look like the Osmond family. They are like, (laughs) (laughs) they're like on you. So anyways, yeah, we can talk about unions at some point. (laughs) Oh my God. what's What's the topic? What's the topic of the show on Tuesday? (laughs) <laughs> well, it might be unions now. <laughs> it was going to be about how these progressive cities, these cities that are super liberal, like the one that Rashad is in, Minneapolis and St. Paul, uh, have some of the worst outcomes and some of the most racism uh, in their schools, even though they're they're super like, you know, liberal cities. Uh, but, hell, y'all might have to like have us talking about unions now because Rashad goes hard on that one. Show the hell does, man. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> 
This dude said he makes the Crips look like <laughs> the Osmond family, bro. Like, Ray, take us out, bro. This <laughs> he said we done. Yeah, I, I, yo, I, I, yo, I am done. not saying anything else after that. It's done. <laughs> hey, listen. So, uh, so, so, wrap us up. Final thoughts. Uh, we'll start with you, uh, uh, Breezy. Uh, another good discussion, fellas. I like this one because this was actually generative of ideas and things that we should be thinking about um, in this moment that we're in right now, where we have the opportunity to start demanding some things and resetting conversations, um, ex- exerting our power, exerting the fact, like reminding people who we are in the lives of our children. We are the deciders. We're the presidents of their education. We're the closest thing to God that they have in their lives. God gave us like one mission, and it was to ruthlessly, ruthlessly fight for their interests every day and not give a damn about whoever wants to step in our way for helping our kids, be that a union, be that the crying Karens in the classroom, be that whoever Whatever power there is that stands against you making the choices that you know are best for your kids, um, you you need to need to um, make it your mission, your life mission. You're going to fight it. And and that's going to be what you're that's going to be your identity as a parent. You're going to fight ruthlessly. Um, so real quick, fund the family. We need personalization. We need to stop thinking about schools and start thinking about unschools. We need self-selected learning communities where people opt in with their kids to the right fit for their children. And we need an expanded view of what constitutes a teacher. Those were my points today. That's what's up, Breezy. All right, Reef, heading right to you, big dog. Yeah, man. I also, you know, enjoyed the show tonight. I, I would just say... You know, I, I've heard from the spring all the way to now, a lot of educators, you know, wringing their hands about like they don't know how to do this. They don't know how to do that or the district didn't train them. And I just want to say, like, our team trained some college students to teach phonics this summer to first, second and third graders from all around the country, from California all the way to uh, Massachusetts. And I just want to shout them out, like in about 13 hours of phonics instruction, 90 percent of the scholars, these first, second and third graders um, improved two levels up on word reading assessment, on on their uh, positive racial identity, like all of this. And this this is from college students, man. But I hear adults talking about like, well, I don't know if I can. And and what about this? And I don't want to be online and I don't want to do all of this stuff, like center the students, even in the crisis and advance, 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 like stop making excuses. Right. Hold it. Hold your principles, your leadership accountable. But most importantly, hold yourself accountable for the outcomes that our children deserve. That's what's up. All right, uh, Charles, Doctor, Sir, man, I, I just, I'm just so happy to see y'all, man. Y'all look great. Uh, I'm glad we got this 1080p popping in full HD. Um, I will say this, man, uh, and Chris kind of went there too, and I, I, I'll, I'll kind of go there as well. Listen, man, the church is the people, is not the building, and that's the same with education. The education is ours, not a faulty system, right? Like what we're trying to build here with eight black hands is, of course, it's for black dudes that like care about black kids and believe black kids can learn, but it's also about giving power back to you, like our listeners, our parents, our community, right? And so we generated these ideas, and we want more of your ideas, and we want to help. Help get these to people because people are afraid they are scared and they shouldn't have to be when we're talking about 
educating your child. Mom shouldn't be worried about going to jail. Dad shouldn't be worried about being erased in these conversations. And you shouldn't have to worry about being yelled down at a board meeting by union. Mm-hmm. This is about education and about your kids. And we're going to keep bringing it and keep doing what we need to do. I'm just grateful to be part of this group. We yeah, grateful to have up, you, bro. And so, um, yeah, man, yo, this is like a dream team right here, man. Like, yo, I'm revel every week because I think about how we come together and we form Black Voltron. But then also I think about <laughs> y'all's individual accolades and I'm super impressed with like what y'all do on an individual level, man. It's just amazing. And so for me, closing it out, man, I just feel like school choice is paramount. Uh parents should be able to select whatever schools that they want their kids to go to. And one of the things that I um I didn't talk about, and I don't think that we talked about as well, is that, man, I want us to have world-class facilities in, where, in, in which we pr- perform these, these teaching duties and these education duties. I think that's extremely important. And then also uh, using those communities uh, after, using those, using those facilities after hours for, for our community to come in and do the things that they need to do, like welcoming and opening it up and making school like a home for people because you know some people don't have that you know and that's why they gravitate towards gangs and fraternities anyway <laughs> you guys have been listening to another episode of the eight black hands he finally admitted it he finally <laughs> admitted it <laughs> power to y'all tune man in, tune, tune in next week peace peace we love y'all <laughs> You have been listening to the Eight Black Hands podcast with Ankrum, Cole, El Mecki, and Stewart. If you like what you heard, follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at 8BlackHands1. Thank you for listening. <laughs>